begin with the Hat Sutra, page 3. I prostrate to the mother of the conquerors of the three times, the perfection of wisdom indescribable by words and thoughts, which does not arise and does not cease in nature like space, whose objects belong to the individual subject's awareness. I prostrate to the exalted three jewels. The Buddha was residing in the Rajakriha at Vulture together with a great assembly of monks and a great assembly of bodhisattvas. At that time, from among the variety of possible meditation objects, Bhagavan was abiding absorbed in the samadhi called profound radiance. Also at that time, the Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshvara, was investigating the practice of the profound, perceiving that even those five heaps are empty of inner nature. Then, by the power of the Buddha, the Venerable Shariputra inquired of the Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshvara, how should any son of the lineage trained who wishes to engage in a practice of the profound perfection of wisdom? The, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshvara, then declared to the Venerable Shariputra, O Shariputra, any son or daughter of the lineage who wishes to engage in the <coughs> should view all things thus. Even those five skandhas should be regarded as being in essence utterly empty of inherent nature. Form is empty. Its emptiness is form. Emptiness is not something other than its form. Form also is not something other than its emptiness. In the same way, feeling and discrimination and composition of factors and consciousness are empty. Thus, O Shariputra, the nature of all entities is emptiness. They have no characteristics. They do not arise. They do not perish. They have no impurity. They are free of impurity. They do not diminish, nor do they increase. Because of that, O Shariputra, in emptiness there is no form. There is no feeling. There is no discrimination. There are no compositional factors. There is no consciousness, no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no visible form, no sound, no scent, no taste, no tangible object, no object of mind consciousness. There is also no eye constituent, no mind constituent, up to no mind consciousness constituent. There is no ignorance, no termination of ignorance up to no aging and death, nor any termination of aging and death. Similarly, there is no suffering, no cause of suffering, no cessation of suffering, and no path. There is no ultimate wisdom. There is no attainment. There is no lack of attainment. Putra, since there is no attainment, bodhisattvas abide in reliance upon the perfection of wisdom. Because they abide thus, their minds have no obscuration, and they have no fear. Having completely passed beyond error, they arrive at ultimate nirvana. All the Buddhas who abide in the three times 
fully awakened to the highest, the completely perfected enlightenment, through reliance on the perfection of wisdom. Therefore, the mantra of the perfection of wisdom, the mantra of vast awareness, the highest mantra, the mantra that is equal to that which has no equal, the mantra that pacifies all sufferings, because it is not false, nor it to be true. The mantra of the perfection of wisdom is proclaimed, Karyata gate gate para gate para samgate bodhisvaha. O Shariputra, a bodhisattva, a great bodhisattva, should train thus in the profound perfection of wisdom. Thereupon, the Buddha Bhagavan emerged from that samadhi and declared to the Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshvara, that he there spoke well. Well said, well said, O son of the lineage. It is just that, just as you have taught, so should one practice the profound perfection of wisdom. Not only I, but all other Tathagatas rejoice as well. When the Bhagavan had thus spoken, the Venerable Shariputra and the Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshvara, together with the entire assembly as well as the rest of the world, comprised of gods, humans, demigods, and spirits, filled with joy, highly praise what the Buddha has taught.
Go for 36. <laughs> page 31. Yeah, we didn't get very too many pages last time. So we were, uh, I hope you had uh, a sense of relief and also a sense of uh, how to set your priorities from the last uh, reading that we did, which was, uh, I kept saying, it's, it, it's what Manjushri said to Manjushri. You have a question about Manjushri? Yeah, Manjushri is said to Manjushri. Mm -hmm. Does that also mean that uh, Manjushri said to Manjushri, said to Yamanaka? It could be something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason that I, I, I said that was... Uh, <coughs> Uh, Jason Kappa is supposed to be an emanation of Manjushri. And Jason Kappa was having a conversation with Manjushri. So Manjushri said to Manjushri. And Yamtak is, um, is, uh, Yam is a part of Manjushri. Yeah. yeah. So he's in Well, his personality wasn't in there. Wasn't but his essence was there. <laughs> <laughs> going to explain what is uh, some of the things mentioned above. What we mean above by mental review meditation is a type of meditation where you choose a particular line of thought and analyze it. Now the three principal paths are the top of the cream schemed from all the holy words that the Buddha ever uttered. You see, the meaning of these words and the commentaries upon them have all been packed into the teachings on the paths for practitioners of the three different scopes. 
And this teaching has all been packed further into the teachings on the steps of Buddhahood. This teaching, in turn, has been packed into that of the three principal paths. So this is extremely compact. Okay. It is said that whatever the Buddha taught, he taught it for the purpose of liberation. He taught it so that those who are listening, by listening to it, they would uh, somehow get to, get to liberation, freedom from suffering, freedom from the causes of, accumulating the causes of suffering. And these, all these teachings were uh, somewhat summarized in what is called the Lam Rim, the stages of the path. And there are many commentaries on the stages of the path, different, of different uh, sizes and dimensions. So, no matter what teaching, no matter what you are, no matter what teaching of the Buddha you are following, it falls under one of these three. You're either developing renunciation, you're either developing uh, bodhicitta, or you're developing your uh, understanding of correct view. It doesn't matter what sutra you're reading, it doesn't matter what commentary you're reading, if it doesn't fall under one of these three, then you know it not, may not have anything to do with Buddhism. Okay. Now how is each packed into the next? Every single thought expressed in the holy words of the Buddha and the commentaries which explain them was uttered for the sole purpose of helping dis disciples to attain the state of Buddhahood. To achieve this state, one must verse himself in the two causes that bring it about. We call them method and wisdom. The main elements of these two causes are also two. The desire to attain Buddhahood for the sake of all living beings and correct view. To develop these attitudes in the stream of one's mind, a person must first gain an absolute disgust for all the apparent good things of the, of the life he himself is spending in the circle of birth. And I think this, especially for a lot of Westerners, this particular uh, line here, at, at the last line, sort of is, seems somewhat uh, confusing. It seems, it seems to be saying uh, that you shouldn't like life. You shouldn't like to live. But if you look uh, at the wording closely, it says to have an absolute disgust for all the apparent good things. Okay. So it's not that we should have a disgust for good things. We should have a disgust for all those things which are, which seems apparently good. And samsara is filled with them. As a matter of fact, that's the only place we'll find substitute good. Okay, that's the only place you will find things that appear to be good when they are indeed not good. Suppose you never managed to develop a desire to get free of the cycle of life with yourself. Suppose you never reach a renunciation which is complete in every respect. It will be impossible then for you to develop what we call great compassion. 
the desire to liberate every other living being from the cycle. This makes renunciation of without which nothing. Remember he mentioned to achieve this state, what state, the state of Buddhahood, you must verse yourself in two causes, the, the two causes that bring it about. So there are only two causes that bring about Buddhahood. No, there is not a third one. And they are referred to as method and wisdom. On the method side, you have the desire to attain Buddhahood for the sake of all living beings. All that has to be taken into as just one thing. The desire to attain Buddhahood for the sake of all living beings. That's just one thing. And that's in the method side. And the, uh, the other thing on the method side is also uh, fits within that is, renun is renunciation. So everything that you do about in terms of collecting merit, uh, in terms of uh, charity and all those kind of things, they fall into the method side. And everything that deals with the true nature of reality, that's wisdom. So if you don't verse yourself in those two things, you will never get to Buddhahood. You can be an expert in wisdom. If you don't have any method uh, practice, you don't get to, to Buddhahood. If you fill yourself with method and you don't have any wisdom, you're not going to get to Buddhahood. You need both of them. Now, I... I said some people say, some people have, uh, some people don't like it so much when you hear, uh, especially in Buddhism, to have a, a discuss for all the apparent good things in life. So oh, no, there are good things in life, we shouldn't enjoy them. That's some, some people uh, respond that way. So I want to ask you, how does, uh, uh, how does reading this make you feel? A person must first gain an absolute discuss for all the apparent good things of the life he or she himself is spending in the circle of birth. Now, how do you feel about that? Do you agree with that? At a gut feeling? <laughs> I think that apparent is the key word. Mm -hmm. To have that wisdom that can distinguish Like uh, chocolate is definitely chocolate. good, right. and uh, aubergine. Uh, what's that one? Eggplant, Eggplant is definitely bad. <laughs> <laughs> and people who say eggplant is good, they're stuck in the apparent goodness. Right. <laughs> <I give up. laughs> so exaggerating a little bit, but uh, what does it mean, apparent good things in life? So well, I think sometimes we get caught up in that something's giving us pleasure and we think this is good. It's not good? No, it is. <laughs> okay. So what should we do? Should we not uh, enjoy the chocolate? And, and uh, when I say that, and uh, the response I get is, uh, how do you do that? That's a good question. 
how do you enjoy the chocolate at the same time thinking, oh, it's not going to last? You know, my husband tells this funny story that when he was a little boy, he had this um, love for uh, rice pudding, I guess it was. Mm. And that in the South, they used to make it a special occasion. He didn't get it too often. Uh -huh. No, banana pudding. It was banana pudding. Mm. And one day, he just couldn't stop himself. He gorged himself on the banana pudding. <laughs> and he could not stop. And he got so sick, and he never could eat banana pudding after that. <laughs> Actually, that's a good story of apparent good. Right. Yeah. Because if it was not just apparently good, if it was really good, then the more of that banana pudding you ate, the more better you should feel, the more pleasure you should get from it. Right? So it's not saying that uh, in order for you to achieve Buddhahood, and we all should be pursuing it, we have to stop pursuing uh, good things. It's not we have to stop pursuing what, uh, what is called the good. We have to stop pursuing enjoyment. Because sometimes, when, whenever, uh, especially when the teaching is connected with renunciation, it seems that's what renunciation, renunciation is telling us. Because it, it, this is developing an absolute disgust for all the apparent good things in life. That's what renunciation is. That's one part of renunciation. So it seems to be saying, go around feeling, moping around, go around moping, and whenever you see a little bit of uh, happiness coming your way, move. <laughs> Don't let yourself be hit by happiness. Go around, be miserable. And then, unfortunately, uh, I think it is... Uh, unfortunately, a lot of spiritual or religious people, not spiritual, I would say religious, <laughs> a lot of religious people, they, they get this part of it, and, and, and there's a, 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 a somewhat a sincere aspiration to be spiritual, to be religious. And when they get this, so they say, oh, I guess this is what I have to do. And they go around making sure that they don't enjoy things. And when they see someone laughing, when they see someone uh, uh, happy, they think there's something wrong with that person. They think that person is irreligious. Why, why are you happy? Why aren't you... Actually, uh, sadly enough, I, I hear mothers telling that to their children. Why are you so happy? <laughs> why are you so happy about it? You know? Maybe they're just curious. They want to know. No, it's, it's like... It's more like with the, th with the thinking, uh, the, usually the mother, uh, it's not, oh, why are you so happy about, like, interested in, yeah. in not finding out, but more in a sense of the mother's coming from, or the father, or whoever is coming from, the contemplating the awful uh, experience that they, they just had, uh, that sad situation, the depressing situation they have, and they see the, 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 the child or the person uh, being happy, and if someone, as, as if saying, why aren't you seeing that this is deep, uh, we, are deep, we, are, uh, we are living a, a, uh, a depressing life? Why can't you see the truth? It's almost, almost, it's almost like that. It's so asking, why are you happy? What are you happy about? So um, these people who uh, unfortunately have a misunderstanding of that aspect of renunciation, who want 
to be religious, who want to be spiritual. So they go around thinking that they should avoid being happy. They, so they, 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 all they do is think about uh, how awful things are. How awful things are. And unfortunately, that, that, since that's not what renunciation is supposed to be about, they end up depressed. And if they, uh, if they survive, that is, if they you know, continue uh, with religion, if they don't abandon it because you know, it's too depressing, if they don't abandon it, they, they, they are the kind of people that when you're around them, if you feel like they're sucking your energy. You know, they're so depressed, they become like a black hole. And then they're, you know, whatever happiness, whatever uh, contentment is around them, they suck it and they don't let it go. Okay? So uh, that's, uh, that is not what this is supposed to be saying. It's not saying abandon any, any hope whatsoever of finding happiness. It says abandon the hope of finding happiness where it doesn't exist. Dependent in your hope of finding happiness in what cannot possibly give it to you. And whatever tries to trick you, have a disgust for it. Because finding happiness is serious business. <laughs> it's something that we shouldn't play around with. <laughs> okay? And if something is is uh, uh, deceiving you, leading you to a path of, uh, of misery, and then uh, pretending to be leading you to a path of happiness, you, sh you should have a special disgust for it. Okay. After all, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the inescapable, unavoidable uh, experiences or attributes of freedom is complete bliss. Okay. Being, being, uh, being free from samsara or being, uh, being uh, a perfectly enlightened Buddha doesn't mean you go around the universe for the rest of your life with a, with a, with a pout. <laughs> because now you, you're, you're in the truth. Okay. All right, so and the next, the next paragraph about uh, how this makes renunciation of without which nothing. And this one is something that, uh, it, and, and I think especially for those who, who, who were raised within a Christian somehow back, uh, monotheistic uh, background, especially Christians, I think. Well, maybe um, mostly I'm, I've encountered those with Christians that you cannot really love others until you love yourself. To say you love others and yet hate yourself is almost like an oxymoron. And, in, and it seems like a selfish thing to love oneself. But it's the starting point. And here, uh, I went to the love side, here it says, uh, suppose you never managed to develop a desire to get free from the cycle of, of, of life yourself. <laughs> suppose you never, if you don't, if you really 
don't have a sincere desire, a sincere aspiration to get out of samsara for yourself, how can you say you want others to, free, to be free from it? It, 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 you will, it, it will be almost a, almost a lie to say you want, others, you want others to be free from it, and yet you want to stay here. Maybe you want something all to yourself. <laughs> you want everybody out. <laughs> okay. And unless you do that, it's, it says here, it will be impossible for you to develop great compassion. Great compassion absolutely requires that you have a sincere appreciation of what suffering is. If you don't understand what suffering is, if you don't understand what it is to be deceived by apparent good things in life, you cannot have compassion for those who are in, in, in that situation. Okay, now we continue, 36. Now, in order to achieve the Buddha's body of form, a person must first gather together what we refer to as the collection of merit. This gathering depends principally on the desire to achieve Buddhahood for the sake of every living being. To achieve the Buddha's Dharma body, a person must have the collection of wisdom. Here, the most important thing is to develop correct view. All the most vital points of the path then have been packed into the three principal paths and made into an instruction which can be carried out by students. These words of advice are imparted directly to our precious Lord by gentle voice himself are therefore very special indeed. I'm not sure if you are one of those uh, people who've ever asked that, okay, almost like the, uh, if you're standing on the island, on an island kind of question. If you're, if you're going to be standing on an island, what, would, what, would you, what is an absolute, what text should you, be, uh, you should get, you should take with you? Okay, if you only have one, if there's only one book you can take. Well, grab anyone. <laughs> anyone you grab it will be good. <laughs> okay, but the the main thing is uh, the three the three principal paths: renunciation, bodhicitta, correct view. That's it. There's nothing else. Everything else is just an elaboration on, on those three. Even the teachings, uh, the very elaborate teachings on controlling the vital winds and vital um, no, uh, 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 subtle bodies and things like that, they all fall under the three principal paths. Yeah. All right, uh, so now I probably you've known it already. When we make the dedication at the end, By this virtue, may all beings perfect the accumulations of merit and wisdom and achieve the two holy bodies that arise from merit and wisdom. Okay. 
So you want to be a Buddha, right? You want to be a Buddha. So what do you, what 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 are the two things that you need to do? You need to accumulate. You need to do uh, an accumulation that falls into two 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 different parts. The one that falls on the method is what is called the collection of of uh, merit. And the one that falls under correct view, that's the collection of wisdom. Okay? So what does that mean practically? It means you have to, abend- you have to uh, act out of at least a desire not to harm. And when you act out of that desire, then what you do becomes merit. And in addition to that, if you're able to act not only out of desire not to harm, but also out of the desire to benefit others, then those actions become actions that collect merit. But these merits will have power to produce enlightenment or freedom only if they're combined with wisdom. That is, as you are doing those acts, you have at least some understanding on the true nature of all the things involved. And whenever you uh, contemplate or act with some understanding of what is the true nature of what's involved, that's collecting the collection of, of, uh, of wisdom. And here you see that in order to achieve the Buddha's body of form, uh, the person must first gather together what we refer to as the collection of merit. So going around doing good, what is called, might be called good, do, go in, do, um, doing good deeds, is what later on uh, we uh, manifest as what we call the Buddha's body. And, and the Buddha's body is not, it's not just a body. It just means... Uh, the, the, the Buddha's ability to appear to others. Okay. So that's the Buddha's body of form. And what results as uh, the Dhamma body, or what you might call the Buddha's omniscience, is seeking to understand the true nature of whatever it is that you engage in. The collection of merit. This leads to omniscience. There's something else also in there. Uh, So the Buddha's ability to appear to others and even uh, the Buddha's world, the world that the Buddha finds himself or herself within, living in, where, uh, which which is like a the, a conducive environment for those who wish to become Buddhas to find, to, to find uh, like a, a perfect world to practice Buddhahood to, uh, to, to practice so you can become Buddha uh, this the, the, the form that the Buddha takes the, the world that the, that the Buddha appear, appears within all that is due to the collection of merit. All that is due to acting out of great compassion. So it is, great com- it is acting out of great compassion that gives you a form. Okay. 
The Buddha's form. Oh, okay. Yeah. If we choose not to, but we've accumulated enough merit, so is it possible that even if we're not on a pure land path, we're reborn into a pure land? Yeah. Now, the, uh, the Dhamma body is not, the, the Buddha's Dhamma body is uh, the state of omniscience. But the Dhamma body, if without the word Buddha in front of it, could, could, could be uh, like, if it's the Buddha's body, the Buddha's body of form comes from specifically bodhicitta, actions done with bodhicitta. The, the aspiration, the great compassion that acts on behalf of, of, of the welfare of sentient beings. If someone doesn't have that when they're, when they're on the path and, and they do practice the wisdom aspect, but they practice it with, with only renunciation, if they don't extend the renunciation to others, that makes it impossible for them to have a form to appear to others if they if they reach liberation with that. Okay, so remember when we were talking about uh, the difference between a bodhisattva, between between you know, those different kinds of being: bodhisattva, Buddha, Pratika Buddha, Shravaka Arhat. So once uh, someone reaches liberation, nirvana without having gone through the bodhisattva path, they've, they've, they've extinguished, they eliminated their capacity to appear in a form to others. And the only aspect of the path that allows for this to, for this to happen, for, uh, for someone who reaches nirvana to continue to appear to others, is acting, uh, having acted out of compassion, not just acting out of compassion, but acting out of bodhicitta. There's a big difference between these two. Okay, last paragraph on 36. There's nowhere to turn your mind to spiritual practice unless you have renunciation from the very first. And there's no way for this practice to serve as a path to the greater way unless you have the desire to become a Buddha for the sake of all living beings. And there's no way to rid yourself totally of the two obstacles unless you have correct view. Interesting here, this is uh, to rid yourself totally of the two obstacles. Uh, one of, the, uh, one of those two obstacles doesn't require bodhicitta, but the other one requires bodhicitta. There are two levels, uh, the obstacles that we found to are two levels of, of, of obstacles, two levels of subtlety of obstacles. Why is it that right now you're not in nirvana? It is because you could say there is an obstacle to that. And the obstacle that stops you from experiencing nirvana right now is one of the obstacles. It's called a freedom, obstacle to freedom. Okay. And the primary antidote that helps you remove, that helps you become free of the obstacle is wisdom. 
In interestingly enough, it is not wisdom that helps, the, because the other obstacle is called obstacle to omniscience. And it's interesting, it's not wisdom that becomes the antidote the, the, uh, by itself, which is the antidote uh, to, uh, to the obstacle that stops you from having omniscience. It's not just wisdom that helps you gain omniscience. What helps a, a being to gain omniscience is bodhicitta, the aspiration to free all beings from suffering. It's interesting how uh, wisdom helps you get, I'm going to exaggerate, emotional freedom. Wisdom gets you emotional freedom and the, what you might call the highest emotion gets you the greatest kind of understanding. Because uh, bodhicitta is a kind of an emotion, an aspiration, a wish. Right? Does that, does that, does that make sense? Why is it that the... Why does bodhicitta help you gain omniscience? Why does the wish... No, where's it going? The wish to become a Buddha for the sake of all living beings. Why does that wish to become a Buddha for the sake of all living beings? Why does that help you gain omniscience? You have complete equanimity. If you have that bodhicitta, then that strong wish, that means you have that capacity to see all beings as having been there. Precious Mother, mm -hmm. or, you know, that, and that full equanimity across the board. Which means basically seeing all beings. No, they're saying that Couple of, couple of things. One, one is the equanimity. It's like uh, you're saying like your mind sort of like uh, uh, unbiasedly, you know, uh, spreads throughout and then uh, makes connection with all beings. It's equanimity. Because you have that strong wish, you don't just have chosen places. Mm. And it's, it's all right. Uh -huh. And then but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not sure what the emptiness part of it mean. Be, then you see emptiness, or well, I'm I'm just stretching here. I'm on the wrong track. But I, just, but I I thought that when you have that, you really see that nothing inherently exists. No, this is bodhicitta. This is not not seeing things as an early existence. That's wisdom. Anything to do with the true nature of reality is wisdom. The aspiration, seeing the suffering of others and oh, wanting to so do something about it, that's bodhicitta. Yeah.
Okay, that's great. But how, how, how does that, how is that connected with eventually it will make you omniscience? It will make you know every single thing. There's a connection there. You must have an understanding of correct you to have great compassion. Struggling with life and all that comes up. 
No, uh, <laughs> you can use that path as a means of uh, getting having compassion for someone, but it's not necessarily the way to get to compassion. Is anyone here that way? Oh, no, uh, I'm, I'm not making any. Just listening. <laughs> you were going to say something? What was this specific question about developing compassion? To enlightenment, to omniscience. No, it's not that. Uh, everything that you're saying, yeah, uh, there's truth to what everything, everything that you're saying. Yes, you do need purification. You do need. Uh, bodhicitta is. I mean, it is. We are sort of recognizing the might of bodhicitta here. That omniscience is a big deal. I don't know if. It, <laughs> I don't know if you, <laughs> if you will appreciate that. that. <laughs> no it's not like, you know, something here. You know. <laughs> it's not like, you know, you have a bunch of things, let me see, that, that, omniscient, and you continue. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a big deal. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's, uh, omniscience is something that you will connect with, you know, it's, it's, it's a wisdom, right? But the collection of wisdom is not what helps you get omniscience. What helps you get omniscience, according to this, it's, the, it's bodhicitta, which is an emotion, really. Yeah, a love, compassion, these, we call those emotions. Right? A wish, an aspiration. And it's it's that it's that emotion. That's what now we call it emotion. <laughs> it's that emotion that helps you get that aspect of that would be an aspect of wisdom, which is omniscience, knowing all uh, on, uh, to be a, a know it all. Okay, an all-knower. <laughs> if, if we spin that back to the, the sort of the Christian view we had before, uh-huh. saying, you know, love thyself, it was, it'd be to truly understand oneself mm-hmm. to understand everybody else. You know, have complete aspects of your own feelings and, and thoughts. I mean, like, you know, all thoughts, oh, there's a bird. You know, that goes mm-hmm. through your mind. Mm-hmm. 
have complete control of that, sort of like in the love thyself and then others. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that sort of spin. <laughs> yeah, because I'm always in a dilemma about how I feel about myself. <laughs> but I think that it's love thyself and love and compassion. You know, it's mm -hmm. have, having compassion, like to see my own suffering mm -hmm. and to recognize that I'm not unique, that we all have that suffering, mm -hmm. and have compassion for myself as well. Mm -hmm. It's, when it says here, uh, uh, suppose you never managed to develop a desire to get free of the cycle of life yourself, it, it's not so much saying uh, first fall in love with yourself kind of thing, have some sort of narcissistic kind of a relationship with yourself, and then you can go out into the world and, and express that with, with others. It's, it's not so much, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not like saying first be selfish and then you have the strength to be selfless, even though you might be saying that. <laughs> but it's, it's having, uh, suffering is happening here also. There's a desire for happiness happening here also. If you cannot see what's evident with you, how are you going to see it when, when, when it's over there? And if you don't see Oh, look, that's suffering. Look at this thing. Oh, it's ugly. Oh, look at that. No one, uh, uh, it, it's, it's not something that is wanted. Then from that, you can, when you see uh, someone displaying somewhat uh, similar attributes of what you're experiencing, say, oh, it's there also. So it's not, it's not so much uh, that you're focusing on yourself and then you start focusing on others, but here with yourself is uh, it's happening here and you, you start your awareness from here and then you expand it you're aware that there, you're aware of suffering and you're aware of its nature and then you have you develop a, a, an attitude towards suffering in general and you see that it's not just here you see that it's also over there and the same attitude that you have for it towards here, you have for it wherever it is. But, uh, the, the, what you might call the practical danger, not danger in the sense that you're going to go to hell, but you know, the practical as far as fully developing that, is if you're thinking of, uh, you have to give it to yourself first, and then maybe give it to someone else. You know, uh, it's, uh, you will see yourself having a, a disgust for the suffering, the state of suffering, and the causes for suffering. And then you will try everything to make sure that you avoid the causes of suffering. You make sure that when you are suffering, you try to uh, relieve yourself of it. But here was where the danger is. Uh, if, if you don't just generalize suffering in general, when you see it, other, oh, that's someone else's suffering. Maybe I shouldn't interfere. That's probably the best thing, maybe. Or you can say, oh, let that person deal with it the way I, I, came, I, I came to deal with it. Let that person come to deal with theirs. 
but more in the sense of having a general discuss just for suffering. And the first place for you to see it, for you to know what, what suffering is doing, is look at what's, what it's doing to you. Because until you really know, uh, sense uh, what, is, what it's doing to you, is how you can really appreciate what, what it is to suffer. You can't really say you understand someone who's going through, who's suffering. And uh, that is uh, one of the uh, one of the called uh, re remarkable attributes of the Buddha. That he was wasn't born, uh, he, he wasn't a, a god from 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 birth, so to speak. He was human. He knows what we are going through. From his own experience, he knows when he says suffering, he knows what he's talking about. It's not just you know pretending to know. It's not just uh, uh, you know ex, uh, um, philosophizing about human the human condition. The very suffering that you're going through, when the Buddha said suffering, that's what he was pointing to. He wasn't pointing to some abstract phenomena. So whatever, just the very. It could be a headache for you, it could be a foot ache for someone else, but just the, just the fact of, uh, I'm experiencing something that is painful, that is unpleasant, just that state itself. And you see how it is something that is unwanted. So wherever it is, it must, it, it's, its nature is unwanted, it's an unwantable. So, you want to get to that point where, in the same way, you feel I have to get to the drugstore to, to, get, to get rid of this headache. And when, you, when someone else tells you I have a headache, you feel the same urgency. I have to get to the drugstore to get, to, get, to get something. It shouldn't stop where, well, he has two feet, he can go walk himself to the, to the drugstore. It shouldn't stop there. But it doesn't mean that you're gonna, necessarily you're gonna force the person to take an aspirin. Take this aspirin. You have a headache. <laughs> okay. But the sense of urgency should be there. Yeah. The, the sense of urgency in, in my heart is that I feel like I want to remove this aspirin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but then, um, and does it stop there, or do you have to, do you think then? Oh, it's up to you. You can stop at uh, you can stop at there, or and depending on, on how you feel about it, it might propel you to action. Look, your headache is bothering me so much. Uh, uh, either you get out of here or <laughs> you take this aspirin. <laughs> it could be that. It could be that way. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think parents do that, right? Parents do that, right? When you see your child suffering, and it's almost as if you are suffering, and you just can't bear it anymore, 
It's not that you cannot bear that you, this person is forcing you to, to know their suffering, but you just can't bear that there is, there is suffering. And then you, you feel such intimacy, such closeness with this, where, where the suffering is happening, that you feel that you have to do something. Okay? You're going to take this medicine. I don't care if it, I don't care if it, it tastes awful. You're going to take this medicine. But if you were to meet somebody you don't know, and you and and they have, they're sick, and you, and you offer them medicine, and they say no, thank you, and then they keep saying, oh, it hurts, it hurts, but I offered you medicine and I don't want it, and they keep saying, oh, it hurts, somebody help me, <laughs> you, you just walk away, say this person is crazy, but if it's your child, you're gonna force that child to have that medicine. I mean, I mean, you're gonna find a way of tricking the child, you know, it doesn't have to be like you hold a gun to a child's head or something like that. <laughs> Take this, get rid of this pain or get another one. <laughs> There's a saying that um, a parent is as happy as their saddest child. That a parent can only be as happy as their saddest child. And it almost sounds like that's, a, what would that be, the microcosm of like the bigger thing that if you, if you have three cheetah, Again, you still are supposed to be happy, but that you did you sort of can't the implication is that you just can't rest until that saddest child is in a good space. Yeah, yeah. And that it would be and that very small scale expanded outward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there is there is a sense of uh, inexplicable sadness that the Buddhas are living in. Because sentient beings are still uh, uh, in samsara. But it's not the kind, and I say inexplicable, because it's not, it's not like that they're moping and they're, they're, they're crying, they're the way we understand it. Like, while they are living in their bliss, they're concerned, they, they have genuine concern for our, for, our, for our condition. And, uh, you know, uh, sometime I, my teacher said, uh, when, when the, uh, some, some awful news happened, somebody did something awful, they said, oh, the Buddhas are sad. Because this person is collecting, is creating suffering and collecting the cause for further suffering. And you say, of course the Buddhas are sad. But if you consider that, oh, how can they be sad? They're the Buddhas. Buddhas are supposed to be on that. No. It's, and it's, uh, you could say, it's not a dysfunctional sadness. Okay? When we are sad, we become dysfunctional. We can't, we can't act, we can't do anything, we can't help anybody. Okay? The very thing, that, uh, the very sad situation that, that is uh, bothering us, we can't do anything, do anything about it. So it's completely dysfunctional. Okay? But the Buddha is functionally sad. Okay? Can do something. A crying Bodhisattva. Ever crying Bodhisattva. Yeah, in the same, in the same, in the same way. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 what I'm trying to link into is the, the sense of sadness we're talking about that you feel when you have compassion for someone. That sadness is a part of that great mind called bodhicitta, a great mind called uh, uh, compassion. A lot of times, because of the sadness that is connected, 
with feeling compassion, people want to abandon compassion altogether. Okay. It makes me sad to see you suffer like this. And unfortunately, I mentioned that the ego comes in and grabs only on the sadness. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling sadness. What's causing me to sadness? Oh, this, this stupid compassion is doing it. Oh, let, me get, let me get rid of this compassion. So that, you, you, that's maybe one, that's one of the reasons why the Bodhisattva is called a, a being of great courage. And connected now with, let's bring it all back to omniscience, the first question. So that ability, you could say that strength that allows you to bear that sadness, connected with compassion strengthens you, eventually makes you mighty, eventually makes you omniscient, eventually makes you capable of taking care of all problems. So it's going to be sad for some time when you have compassion for others. It's part of it. And sometimes it will be unbearably painful when the compassion is great. Because it is it then uh, that sadness is an unbearable desire to have that suffering or that cause of suffering to go away, and you really want to do something about it, and you find yourself, I'm not a Buddha yet. So since you're not a Buddha yet, all you can feel right now is I can't do anything yet. Okay, you feel powerless. So eventually, it will lead you to power, to all power to do to all power and all knowledge about what to do about this. There's a connection. great that you can have this experience right now. It's nothing to be sorry about. Yeah, I think uh, we should be taking a break now. Yeah.
for the meditation. Maybe you should just finish this section on 36. And there's no way to rid yourself totally of the two obstacles, that's where we stop, unless you have correct view. This is why these three attitudes were spoken to be the three principal paths. Once you have gained some facility in the three principal paths, everything you do becomes a spiritual practice. If your mind is not filled with these three thoughts, then everything you, everything you try leads you nowhere further than the same old circle of birth. Uh, renunciation, bodhicitta, courage. Seeing the deceptive nature of samsara, having a true appreciation for those who are forced to endure it and really wishing to help them in a big, big way, and, and understanding the true nature of what's going on. As a Buddha field, I offered to the merit field. May all beings partake of a supremely pure Buddha field. Idam Guru Ratnamandala Gandhiyatayami. Kyoadi Kyoku Sanam Yeshe Tsogzogshin. Sanam Yeshe Le Chong Wei Tamba By this virtue, may all beings perfect the accumulations of merit and wisdom and achieve the two holy bodies that arise from merit and wisdom. 